All right, well, welcome to Tri-Cities Church. That was Mary, if you didn't figure that out by now. Uh, we've been in this series, Adventure, right? We're looking at the birth of Jesus and the story that led up to the birth of Jesus, and we've seen how it was an adventure of faith uh, for Mary. And Mary has been challenged along this whole way. We saw in that first week that God chooses unlikely people, right? He chose this little girl to fulfill his plan for all of creation through her. And then in the second week, we saw as she had to journey to Bethlehem that God, uh, that our Christian witness, that our following Christ, following God with our whole lives sometimes means suffering and hardship. And then last week, we saw that this was a part of God's plan from the very beginning, that God plans out our lives. And so we pray to God and we ask God to help us with his plan. And so this week, we're going to continue the story at the birth and after the birth of Jesus all right, well, welcome again if you're a guest with us, if this is one of your first times. Hey, I'm Wesley. I'm one of the pastors here. In the seats, there should have been little cards that, uh, where you can fill out information. We just love to know that you're here um, that, that, uh, and also ways that we can be in prayer with you about anything that's going on in your life. So if there's anything on the back of those cards, you'll see there's a space where you can write uh, down prayer requests if you have one. And when we take up offering during communion time, these buckets on the table, that's what that's for. Just go ahead and drop them in there. Uh, and we'd love to be in prayer with you uh, this week. All right, well, we're continuing looking at um, the birth of Jesus Christ. And it's an incredible story. And so let's pray, and then we'll get into our message for this morning. God, we give you thanks. God, we give you thanks that we have this story that's been recorded for us. That it's been written down and that the story came out of the mouths of those who saw it happen. God, we give you thanks that we have this story that's been written, that we can read it. And not just so that we can read it, but that we can grow from it, that we can learn from it, that we can apply it to our lives. That ultimately your story will be written in our lives. God, you did something incredible through Jesus. And we believe wholeheartedly that what you're doing through Jesus isn't done yet. But that you're doing it through our lives. So God, as we look at this story, as we join Mary in the adventure of faith. God, do something that we wouldn't expect in our lives. Just like you did something that Mary never expected in her life. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. I still remember the first time, the first time I ever held a, a small baby. I, actually, I'll never forget the moment. I was at a church, at a church program of some sort. We were down in the fellowship hall of the church, downstairs. We were, I think we were eating a meal, right? And I think we we're sitting at tables. I know we were sitting at tables. I'm not quite sure what the event was or what was going on, but there was this lady that was sitting next to me, and she had this baby in her arms, and I had to be less than 12. I, I don't want to call what age I was because I don't know. I don't remember many of the details, but I just remember this lady getting up. I think she might have been going to go get some more tea or going to get seconds or going to get something, and she said one word to me, and that was here. 
right, and dropped her baby in my lap and got up and walked away. And here I was. I had never held a baby before. I had never been in that store. And and I was nervous. I, I was afraid to move. I sat there as if I was frozen, just holding this baby, waiting on this lady to come back to the table so I could do the exact same thing. Here, don't do it again. And so there I was, and I began to think back to my younger years and playing with, um, actually not playing, because the reality is girls play with dolls, uh, but boys typically, at at least I did, we dismember them, right? We, we take them apart. We pull on their hair. We take the arms off. We see how many times we can spin them around. And I remember sitting there and thinking to myself, this one's a little warm and squirmy. I don't, I don't think it works that way. And I'm not, I'm not willing to try it. You see, the reality is that babies are defenseless and dependent, right? Their life depends upon their caretakers, And for that moment, I felt as if I was the caretaker of this newborn baby and as if this baby's life depended upon me. You know, when we look in the Gospel of Luke, we see that God chose to come into this world as a baby to this lady named Mary, a young teenager. God chose to come into this world in that way. And in fact, as we were singing that song, Hark the Herald Angel Sings, I I began to think to myself, you know, that's not an everyday concept, right? That's not something that we think about every day, that God coming to earth in human form, right? That's something that we have to wrestle with to understand it. And so I want you to challenge, I want to challenge you to spend some time and wrestle with that. And if you need someone to come alongside you and talk about what it looks like for God to become human and what all that means and answer questions that you have, I would love to be one of those people that comes alongside you and asks those questions. Jamie would love to be one of those people. So feel free to grab us. Feel free to send us an email and talk to us about that. Because the reality is that God chose to be born as a baby and to make himself dependent upon Mary as his mother. Look in Luke chapter 2. I'm going to pick up reading in verse 4. It says, So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth and Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in swaddle, and <laughs> she wrapped him in cloth, 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 and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. So here we see in the Bible that here Jesus was born to Mary, that he became dependent upon her, that he was defenseless and he needed Mary to take care 
of him. Imagine the pressure that Mary felt. Sometimes I think about that because she knew, at least this angel appeared to her, she knew that there was something special about Jesus. She knew that there was a purpose to his life. And she knew that somehow she had to wrestle with how she would be able to raise Jesus up in order that he might live into, that he might fulfill the purpose that God set for him. You know, I don't have children yet, but often I observe uh, parents in preparation. And I began trying to find a parent that I felt like was a good parent, that was doing all the right things. And as I watch, I notice that parents have all these different parenting styles, right? There's no one parenting style. One parent does it this way, and you know what? Their children grow up, and they're okay, right? Another parent does it this way, and you know what? Their children grow up, and they're okay, they're okay, and they're these books that claim to have nailed it down to a science. This is how you raise your children. But the reality is, is that each parent is wrestling with what it looks like to raise this child up so that this child might fulfill the purpose for which he or she was created. And I love in Gospel of Luke, especially at the end, I think it's in verse 19, and then again in verse 50, 51 in Luke chapter 2, it says that Mary pondered these things in her heart. As she observed Jesus and what he was going through in his life, she would take these moments out where she would step back and she would ponder everything that was happening. I imagine her thinking critically about how can I raise Jesus to become the man that God created him to be? How can I raise Jesus to become the man that God created him to be? You see, the reality is this story and all that happened in this story of Jesus being born to Mary has made a seismic difference, a huge, enormous difference in our society. Just think about all the changes that we see at Christmas time, right? Music changes. You turn on the radio, you hear songs that you haven't heard all year long. You turn on the television, there's movies. I can watch Elf and National Lampoon's Christmas on repeat all day long. But if I watch one more, because my wife likes these sappy Lifetime movies, if I watch one more movie about a career-driven woman finding love at Christmas, I'm going crazy. I'm just going to be honest. But our movies change, our entertainment changes. You drive down Main Street through College Park and East Point, and you see all these lights and decorations, the way we decorate our houses. All of this changes. The birth of Jesus, the story that led to Christmas, has made a seismic difference in our society. Right? Everything has changed because of it. This is a whole season. It's the biggest holiday that we have. More people celebrate it than any other holiday. But what I want us to wrestle with this morning is this question of how can we as people of faith today, how can we as people of faith, people who have joined this adventure of faith as Mary did, how ought we to live our lives in response to this story? How should it change our lives? How should we respond to a culture in which Christmas, the birth of Jesus, this story that has changed our society, how should we respond to that story? As I was wrestling with that question this week, I began to, to, to think about how, um, how confusing and, and odd it would be for someone who's unfamiliar with Western culture, who's unfamiliar, fulfill, unfamiliar with American culture, 
uh, to come into our world and observe our, our practice of Christmas. To come into our world and see, on the one hand, to see these lights, right? To see these decorations, to see these big fat men in red pajamas uh, handing out toys, to see these trees, to see these presents under the trees, to observe those things which are very uh, real elements of Christmas, right? But then on the other hand, to come into the church or to see in people's yards or in front of some churches these manger scenes, these nativity scenes, to see these angels and to see the songs that we sing in the church that are sometimes different from other songs that are sang at Christmas time, to have these two stories that are running parallel with one another, right? These two different ways of observing Christmas and saying, well, what do these lights have to do with with Jesus, and what does this manger scene have to do with uh, Santa Claus? And what, what? How do these elements fit together? And so I began to wrestle with that question: of what would it look like for someone who wasn't born in Western culture and not born in America, or a culture that celebrates Christmas, to come here and to observe this, and to try to put the pieces together and see how these things fit together? You see, the reality is there's this tension that exists at Christmas time. There's this tension that exists between these parallel stories that are running alongside one another. And a lot of parents are even asking at the birth of their children is, how am I going to deal with this? How am I going to answer these questions of these two stories? How am I going to uh, speak to my kids about them? What are we going to practice in our homes? Because the reality is there's these two parallel stories stories that are at tension with one another. And we don't want to be, um, you know, we don't want to be these, these people that bring bad news. We want to bring good news, right? We want to celebrate. We want to be joyful. And there's this tension. And I, I read this article in Forbes magazine. I, I think we have it uh, on the screen. And, that, and it kind of captures this tension that exists. It says, among the joys of Christmas, right? So that's the one side. Along the joys of Christmas season, along with festive parties and cherished reunions and exuberant lights and bedecked homes, the twinkling trees and sparkling ornaments, the cherry, cheery music, the piles of gifts, the good eats and drinks, all imbibed in the spirit of earthly untamed merriment, right? That's Christmas. That's one Christmas, at least. Um, but for many ornery critics... Religious and secular alike, the commercialism and mirth undermine and desecrate the true meaning of Christmas, which they say should entail a somber, ascetic tribute to the birth of Jesus Christ and renewed vows to abide his stern edicts about serving and sacrificing for others, especially for the needy. And so there's this tension that exists, right, in our world. Every time of this year, you hear people who are saying, put Christ back in Christmas, right? There's something gone wrong in our practice of Christmas. And there's this tension that exists that that article kind of captures that says, yeah, there's this merriment, and then there's this somber reality that some are trying to inject into Christmas. And, And where we are as followers of Christ, is trying to wrestle with what that looks like and how we should respond to this birth story in our life. And I think what's central for us to hear is that it's not our role, nor is it our responsibility, to force our beliefs and values, nor our practices, upon those who don't have the same beliefs and values and practices. That is not our role as those who believe this story, 
to take our belief, to take our values, to take our practices, and to force them upon those who have yet to adopt the same belief, the same values, and the same practices. You know, there's this tension between those that say, we need to put Christ back in Christmas. There's even bumper stickers that say, Christ back in Christmas. And then there's others that practice it as a mere cultural reality, would never walk into a church, would never put a bumper sticker, would turn their, their nose down at those who put bumper stickers on the back of their cars. And we're wrestling, we're kind of living in the midst of that, trying to figure out what it looks like. And I think Jesus, when he grows up, tells us what it looks like for us to be a people who celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 5, this is actually when Jesus grows up and he begins to teach his first, uh, his first sermon, his first lesson. And listen to the way that he begins it in verse 13. He says to his followers, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Then he says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. I find it amazing that that's one of the things that the first things that Jesus teaches in his ministry is he teaches that we are to be lights in this world. And so more than anything, because the, fi- the last thing that Jesus teaches in his ministry is go make disciples. And to make a disciple is to make those who follow Jesus Christ, who come to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord over their lives, and they've chosen to follow him every day. I think this definitely doesn't say go make people force people to celebrate Christmas the way that you do. But it says, go and be lights in the midst of a culture, in the midst of a people who might not have the same beliefs, practices, and values. Be lights there. Be lights there. And then look at what it says at the end of that passage that I just read. It says, in the same way, let your light Shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. More than anything, more than shouting about the need to put Christ back in Christmas, the more the, the need than the need to, to say Merry Christmas and make sure we say Merry Christmas firmly as opposed to someone that says season's greetings or happy holidays. More than that, God has called us to be lights in this world. Because ultimately, we can't make Christians, but we can be the light that Christ was and see people drawn to that light. Because the reality is that God doesn't want us to be taken out of our world, taken out of our culture, and not involved in it at all, to to declare it to be unholy and us to be holy somehow, and, and, and to condemn them or reject them, but to be lights in the midst of our culture. Look at what Jesus says. I love this in John chapter 17. Um, he's praying at the end of, of uh, towards the end of his, his life. Um, and in John chapter 17, and I'm not even sure what verse I'm in. Uh, in John chapter 17, I think I'm in verse 20 is where I'm going to read. Uh, verse 15. <laughs> it says, uh, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, 
but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. And I'm going to keep reading because I think that may be all we have there. But sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And here's Jesus talking about his disciples. As you've sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And I just want to pick up one more verse at the beginning of John so we can see how Jesus was sent into the world. And this one isn't going to be on the screen. If you're tracking with me, you might want to jot it down and look at it uh, at at a later time. But in John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. I think we read this last week, Word being Jesus. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made Uh, uh, without him nothing was made that has been made and then verse four in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind we see how jesus came into the world as the light of all mankind and then in verse 17 he says send them i have sent them into the world in the same way that i have been sent into the world and that's to be light you see the reality is christ can be in our christmas even if Christ isn't in the Christmas of anybody that surrounds us. The reality is we can still do good deeds. We can still do good things. We can still serve people. We can still read the the Christmas story on Christmas morning when we get up with our kids, with our family, with our spouses. We can still have a very Christ-centered Christmas, even if no one around us does. I was on Facebook just last week, and I saw the Hapeville City Group went down uh, to Safe House Ministries and helped to put on a Christmas party for a group of, uh, of people who otherwise would not have had much for Christmas. And they went and participated in that in the name of Jesus Christ so that their Christmas wasn't just about toys and presents and lights, but they have toys and presents and lights and Christ in the midst of it all. And Christ is there in their Christmas. I think we have some pictures of them. Yeah, we got some pictures of them. Yeah. Yeah, they went down there. And you see, the reality is no one can take the Christ out of our Christmas. The reality is nobody can do that. No one has that power. What we have to wrestle with during Christmas season, in light of this story of Mary and what God has chosen to do through Mary, is what does it look like for me in the midst of whatever setting that I'm in to be light? To shine the light of Christ. And not just at Christmas time, but all times. You see, we're living in this transitional time right now in America. We're in this transitional time. There was a time, and the, the word is Christendom. Maybe you've heard of that. Um, we, were, we lived in a Christendom era, a Christendom time period. And that's a time ultimately when the governmental structures, or the national governmental structures, were kind of uh, shared an agenda with the church. Historically, a lot of our laws and and things of that nature were uh, alongside or in support of the same thing that the church supported. And so we had this government and this church, um, or or you could say church and state, that were at one point united and shared. They had this broad agenda that they shared. I mean, we see this in some of our laws that are based upon Christian values and morals. We see this in Ten Commandments that are uh, posted inside of courthouses. We see this down in the city hall. I think even College Park still has a manger scene still out in front of their city hall we see that in many ways the culture that we lived in was very much intertwined with christianity but as we progress that's becoming less and less the case and what we find is that jesus becomes marginal 
in Christmas and in many other things. And we're living in this transitional time and we're wrestling with what it looks like. And ultimately, Jesus has called us to be there and to be lights. You know, I love the fact that we have Christmas lights up during Christmas time because it's a very strong reminder that there's something that we're called to every day of the year, not just at Christmas time, but to be lights. When I was young, we used to go around at Christmas time and we'd drive through certain neighborhoods that we knew people would put up a lot of lights. And we'd drive through certain neighborhoods and we would just look at the lights just slowly through these neighborhoods and we'd watch the Christmas lights. There's something about them that was beautiful. There's something about them that was attractive. There was something about them that was drawing us to them. The Bible tells us that Jesus was the light of all mankind. And there was something about him that was beautiful. There was something about him that was different. There was something about him that was drawing people to him. It tells us that when we become lights, when we work through, wrestle through what it looks like during this season and through all of our life, wherever we are, to be lights, that there's something about us that becomes beautiful. There's something about us that becomes attractive. There's something about us that ought to draw people to us that we might point people to God. The reality is we're living in a transitional time. And as we wrestle through that transition and what it looks like for us to follow Christ, I just have three, three points that I want to share with you. Um, the first is that our faith um, must be centered on the whole gospel. Our faith must be gospel-centered. You know, this is a season that we focus in on what God has done through Jesus Christ, the birth of Jesus Christ. But the reality is Christmas doesn't make sense without an Easter. And the, ma the manger does not make sense apart from God's mission. I love what John chapter 14 says in the message version of the Bible. It says, the word became flesh and blood, and he moved into the neighborhood. And we saw the glory of our own, with our own eyes the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. The word became flesh and moved into our neighborhood. The Christmas story doesn't make sense without Easter, without all that God did. The fact that God came to earth, that he moved into our neighborhoods. In our story, our faith must be grounded in the whole gospel, the fact that God moved into this neighborhood and he did something because the birth of Jesus is meaningless apart from the death and resurrection and now the power and reign of Jesus Christ over all creation. You know, the reality is there might be more people who put Christ in their Christmas if they encountered Christ in their neighborhoods. And I wonder what it looks like for us in our neighborhood to be Christ, to be a representation of Jesus Christ. You know, Christmas is a time that we wrestle through that. Second thing I want you to see is that our faith is personal, but it's not private. That our faith must be personal, but it's not private. The reality is we can't make Christians. Being a follower of Christ is the basis of a personal decision that one makes 
but then we also can't compartmentalize our faith. We can't put it in categories and say, I have faith here on Sunday morning, but when I go to work on Tuesday or Monday or whatever day, or when I'm with this circle of friends, I don't have it there. But it's something that changes and shapes the way we live our lives. It's personal, but it can't be private. It's something that we live out every day of our lives. And I wonder what it would look like for us as followers of Christ to live out our faith, to wrestle through what that looks like. It definitely can include, if you like those kind of things, Jesus fishes and bumper stickers and uh, saying put Christ back in Christmas, but our words have to line up with our works. What we say through our lips has to line up with our life. And so what would it look like if our faith was no longer private, but we began to live it out in a way that changed people's lives? And the third thing I want you to see is that our faith must invite people into God's story. Our faith must invite people in God's story. I love the way that Jesus' birth here happens right in the middle of two testaments in the Bible, right? The Old Testament and the New Testament, right there in the middle, is wrapped up in a story. The reality is God's story has been going since the beginning of time, and that God has chosen to complete his story through the church. And there's this story here of Jesus Christ in the midst of God's bigger story. A story of Jesus' birth in the midst of a bigger story. And it's not just a story for us to believe. right? It's not just about believing and now I'm safe and secure and saved. But it's I'm believing and now there's a mission that God is calling me to. And every day I'm asking God, how can I be a part of your story? It's a story that calls us, that invites us to come and be a part of God's story. To come and allow God to do incredible and even crazy things like he did in Mary's life through us. It's a story that calls us to be open to whatever God's will might be for us. It's a story that opens us up to the radical, to the impossible. Because there's that verse in Matthew where Jesus says, with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. It's a story that opens us up to the possibility that God might just do the impossible through us. You know, there's this story of this little girl. This angel appeared to her. She didn't run. She didn't hide. She listened. She listened for the voice of God. You know, in the Bible, the word angel literally literally means messenger. She listened to God's messenger. She heard what this angel would say to her and what God's plan for her life was. Yes, she was afraid. You even hear it in what the angel says. Do not be afraid. Because he knew that she was. And she opened her life up to the impossible. My prayer for us is that we will be a people, that we will be a church that, yeah, listens for God's voice. And maybe we're honest and open with ourselves and say, yeah, I'm afraid of that. It's calling me to do some difficult and challenging things. But yet we read this story and fight our fear And we allow God to do incredible, impossible, what appears to be crazy things through us. 
if that happens, our world will be changed. There'll be a seismic difference in our society. Let's pray. God, we're thankful for uh, what you've chosen to do through Jesus Christ, through Mary, through Jesus Christ, through us. God, we just pray that you continue to open us up to you. God, we want to hear from you. We want to follow you. We want to be given fully to your purpose. God, we know that we, we have our own plans, our own hopes, our own dreams, just as Mary did. I'm sure Mary had this idea of what her life would look like. And God, you came in and radically changed that for the good of the world and for the glory of God. God, I pray that you will, be, you will open us up to the possibility that you can radically change our lives for the good of the world and for the glory of God. God, and I pray that you'll do that. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning is an exciting time because we have um, the baptism of Madison Short, and many of you are here for that. Um, You know, baptism and communion go together, and a lot of times we don't think of it in that way. You know, we're in our baptism is actually our ordination to ministry. It's our joining what God is doing in this world. You know, we like to emphasize the fact that when you read in the scriptures um, that God calls us all to ministry. There's work for us all to do. God calls us all to his mission. Ministry is not just what happens up here or the person that stands up here. Those aren't the only ministers. We're all ministers. And God has called us all to be participants in his work and participants in his mission. And so baptism is is an initiation into that. We're set aside for God's mission. And then communion is about being reminded of the fact that we've been set aside. It's about being reminded of what God has done that sets us aside for God's mission. And the reality is, as we live that out, as we become ministers in our community, as we become ministers around those that we love, we'll see the gospel proclaimed, the story of Jesus proclaimed, not just through our lips, but through our lives. And that's the story of Madison. It wasn't just because her mother said or father said, believe Jesus, it's right. (laughs) But it's because she was surrounded by a community of people. A community of people that bear witness to Jesus Christ and what he's done in their lives and through their lives. And that story becomes true to her, not just because she's read it, but because she's seen what God is able to do. And my prayer for you is that that story will become true for you, not just because you've read it, but because you've witnessed it. And so this morning, Valerie is going to baptize uh, Madison. And Valerie's baptizing Madison because... Valerie was telling me just this morning that she was baptized right here in this very building. Uh, That Valerie was baptized right here in this very building when she was a child. And since that time, she's been walking with the Lord and she's borne witness to what God is able to do in her life. And it's incredible to see Valerie now standing here, having become a minister for God and for his glory, preparing to baptize Madison that she might be sent out and she may minister among her friends. 
her family.